Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu. Wind, 060 at 5. Seriously, it's Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Hazardous weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast. Connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by AOPA's National CFI of the Year, Amber Peterson. She'll discuss with us the selection process, her philosophies on flight training, and so much more. And as always, news, information, and events from around the region, with some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in, and let's take off into this episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Welcome everyone back to the Flying Midwest Podcast. I'm Jim, joined by my co-host Trevor and Maddie. How you guys doing? Hi, Jim. Hi. Living life to the fullest. It's a whole lot of not flying. Why are you not a flying? Lot of working. Uh, do you want the actual answer to that? Oh, a whole lot of working. That's why. Well, and a lot of working and a whole lot of being broke. <laughs> the struggle's real. Yeah, I got to move to save up, save up for. Yep. And the last couple of days, at least in Minnesota, have been kind of garbage anyways. It's been really windy and bumpy as all get out. So probably, yeah, probably didn't miss much. How are you, Trevor? What's going on? Oh, racking my brain over performance charts and emergency procedures and a bunch of other stuff. No rest for the C-130 engineer students. <laughs> nope. And I learned a, well, it's not like I learned it, but it's become very, very apparent that C-130 flight engineers, all they do is they eat their own. Oh, so yeah. cool. So Trevor, you did some flying last week, huh? Yeah, Sunday, Father's Day. Did so a what, little bit of flying. What'd you do? I got checked out in a Cherokee 140. I feel like you and owned I a Cherokee. I, I did own a Cherokee. And I, and I, after flying this little 140, I missed my 180. Yeah, because it had <laughs> so much more power. I'd be willing to bet. But the airplane is actually pretty nice. It handled very well. I did, uh, I did three takeoffs and landings. The the outfit that I rented from, oh, it really inexpensive. Eighty five dollars an hour for a Cherokee wet rate. I just eighty five an hour. Eighty five an hour wet. Did they, wh- Wait, what? He said wet. wet. You heard him. What are the fuel rates on that airport? Do you know? Six something, six fifty. Wow. So you essentially <laughs> stole the flight time of that plane. <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. Well, so here's here's the thing with the one forty. Now the uh, the company is owned by two brothers, and they do their own maintenance. They don't have any hangar fees right now because they got displaced due to uh, airport maintenance. So they were able to bring down their prices pretty substantially and cut wow. a lot of the middleman. 
So basically, you know, as long as, and I, and I promised them, I said, I'd take care of the airplane as if it was my own, the downside to it. And I think a lot of operators are starting to go that route is I have to buy my own insurance. Oh, I, oh gosh, it's been a while since I bought my own insurance. And, and, and thinking about it, I'm actually, I'm more in favor of it because I know if something happens, I know exactly what the insurance policy is. Plus, so I'm, most I'm actually school, kind, I'm kind, I'm kind of in favor of it. Most school policies only cover the school and the plane, not you. So it's good that you have rental insurance. I mean, I it's not have... that expensive either. I think it's less than 200 bucks for if you get like a low plan. I found my way into an airplane as well. A week and a half ago or so, went up and did some more commercial maneuvers. It's been a while. So went yeah. up with my instructor, try to start working on my commercial rating again. And turns out I remember how to do some maneuvers. So how to feel good. It was good to knock good. some of the rust off again and build a little bit of confidence. Like, oh yeah, you remember what you're doing. So I uh, didn't get to do all of them. Like I, I really want to get into doing some power off 180s again, because it's been a while on those, but um, we did like some chandelles and lazy eights and some of the steep spirals and those all felt fairly good. Um, I still hate eights on pylons with a passion, but you will always hate <clears> them. They are not I fun. I keep hearing that. Um, I feel like there's a button about once that I've been able to do them and go, Oh, that felt really good. Every other time has been like, Oh, I feel like I'm just chasing it. So, I mean, the, here's a tip get a little farther out from your points. So you have a shallower bank. And so you have, it takes, it'll take you longer or it'll take longer for the point to change. So you don't have to, you don't feel like you're chasing it as much. Mm. Plus in the maneuver, if you get the correct points with the wind, you are going to descend and ascend. Then you get back to your altitude. Then you're going to descend and ascend again. Mm -hmm. It's as long as you'll get the hang of it. It won't be your favorite maneuver. Most likely. It'll I can't imagine just, it ever will be. No. I'm just, I'm just not a huge fan, but I feel like based on the conversations I've had, I'm probably in decent company. Yeah. You are in decent company. No one likes that maneuver. Every, so I can, every I can DPE wants to see it probably because everybody hates it. Same with lazy eights. I have to do those both for my interview next week. Yay. Well, let's see if we can get you up and we'll practice some. I'll look at my that schedule. That would be very cool. We'll see what we can sort out here in the next handful of days. So sweet. There you go. So should we talk about what's coming up on this episode? I absolutely think so. Okay. I guess I'll talk about it. We have AOPA's national CFI of the year, Amber Peterson, who is a local flight instructor in Minnesota, as well as works for one of the regionals. So um, really fun conversation that we had with her. So we'll bring that to you after we cover some news and events. Without further ado, some news for you. <laughs> and bigger and more important news the news hey guys hey trevor hey trevor do you remember the aircraft that was stuck in uh fargo since february i don't but i feel like you're gonna tell me about it well apparently eastern airlines have forgotten all about it too <laughs> <laughs> well played sir well played well played yeah there's an aircraft the 767 that had some engine trouble during takeoff from uh, from Fargo's Hector International Airport. So the airlines basically forgot it was there. Um, it arrived back on February 2nd and was waiting a new engine. One of the interviewees for the form said, I forgot it was here until you called, but have to have it here for a long period of time. It's unusual. Hopefully it'll be moved in the very near future. Kind of sounds kind of sketch, if you ask me, but no skin off... Uh, 
Eastern's back because Hector doesn't have any overnight parking. So there's no fees associated with keeping the aircraft there, provided that there's access to maintenance crews, selling fuel, aviation services, things like that. Yeah, all joking aside, it's not the brightest idea to keep an aircraft just hanging out at the airport where you make money is flying. Oh, you don't say. Yeah, right. (laughs) Eastern Airlines was one of those uh, airlines that that went uh, belly up back in the early 90s, then then re-emerged like a phoenix probably about five to seven years ago. And they were mostly going to be charter. Yeah, they went through restructuring. They now have 12 aircraft, all variety of 767s. How many planes do they have again now? You said 12? Yeah. Do they know where most of them are then? Or (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. That's right. pretty well, good. I'd assume at some point they'd be like, hmm, I think we're missing a couple. We can't make these flights. <laughs> you guys remember what happened to this airplane? No. I, I bet somebody got fired for that. Oh, at least one person got fired for that. What do you mean you don't know where it is? <laughs> well, you it lost could, it? It could be worse. Oh, could it? It could be like Puerto Rico Air National Guard. Apparently they lost an F-16 in an ocean ditching and nobody found it until like two years or nobody had noticed it until like two years later. It was never reported. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so, so funny. So when they went to do an inspection on the base, like, um, where's this tail number? Oh yeah, that crashed like two years ago. <laughs> Moving right along to bigger and more important Moving news. <laughs> more important news. We're going to talk about some government stuff. Just kidding. It's not going to be that boring. But we are going to talk about some tax stuff. Wake me up when this Super is over. Fun. Yep, no problem. All right, going down to Topeka, Kansas. The governor of uh, Kansas, Laura Kelly, joined legislators and aviation industry leaders at the National Center for Aviation Training. This was in June um, in Wichita. And she signed a bipartisan House bill labeled 2239. And this essentially uh, creates tax credits for the aviation aerospace industry. So what this is going to do, it creates a tax credit for aviation employees and employers. Um, And this is for this next tax year. Basically, what this bill is trying to do is encourage more in and out of state workers to join the Kansas aerospace industry. So you get this non-refundable tax credit for taxpayers who are become qualified aviation employees. And there's some fun tax stuff with that. A lot of it's tax credits, and it also incentivizes employers to offer tuition reimbursement for employees who further their education in a STEM field. So that's pretty cool. Um, So that might do well for somebody like me who plans to go to a place like Textron or whatever, get some nice tax credits. Governor Kelly seems to be putting a lot of emphasis on the aviation industry in Kansas, which is great because I feel like Wichita has since gone kind of by the wayside as far as um, big aviation places, even though there are a lot of aviation industries based out of there. So it's pretty cool because Kansas is actually um, home to leaders like Spirit, Bombardier, and Textron. So we definitely want to keep them going and bring people, more people into the aviation industry. So I think this will be a great lead in for that. You can wake up now. Continuing (laughs) on with laws and legislation and things like that if oh, i thought i could wake up I'm, let me know when you when you airplane owners are looking to get some cheap labor cheap labor is not a great thing to say tax discounted labor go to iowa iowa approves a sale of tax exemption for aircraft parts and labor 
So this is actually kind of a cool thing. Uh, Governor uh, Kim Reynolds on June 14th ensures a robust aviation economy for the, uh, for the Hawkeye State. And this begins with a sales tax friendly um, initiative for aviation maintenance jobs, for equipment and things of that nature. AOPA has actually been a very big advocate for this as well. AOPA and the Iowa Public Airports Association has been pushing for this tax exemption since 2017, along with many other members who are engaged with their local senators and representatives. The bill received significant support from Representative Steve Bradley, um, an AOPA member and a general, general aviation advocate. This is actually kind of a cool thing because as anybody that's been in and around aviation knows that aviation is very expensive, especially when we're talking about, oh, I don't know, um, parts, equipment, TSO products, PMA products, things that are certified versus non-certified, it gets to be very expensive. So being able to take a little bit of this bite is actually, I think it's a big deal. Um, it's a step in the right direction, trying to make aviation just that much more affordable. That's a step in a totally different direction. That's actually good. I'm a fan. I'll buy it. Jim, what about you? Maddie approves. I approve. You approve. Approved. It has been Motion signed and stamped approved by the Flying Midwest podcast. That's really all you need to make it a law. <laughs> I think I saw that on a schoolhouse rock once. <laughs> <laughs> the bill on the Capitol Hill. Yeah. So the 45th annual um, Aries Classic is currently taking place right this second. Actually, it spans over four days. So it started uh, yesterday. And they will be flying for two more days after today. So from the 21st to the 24th. This race is for teams of up to three female pilots. And they will be traversing the, let's say, southeastern United States. They start in Lakeland, Florida and make uh, nine stops, I believe. And they will be, they have a set route and they each have handicaps of their own. And it will end in uh, Indiana. So these ladies, a lot of them have been racing for many years. Some, it's their first time. There are a lot of school teams this time around. Uh, Liberty University has two. I think Kansas State also has a couple as well. I have a friend who's actually participating in this race. Sarah, if you're listening, keep going seriously fast. Spelled Cirrus. Seriously fast. They're, they're flying a Cirrus. I should hope so. It wouldn't make as much sense if <laughs> you're flying a really Piper. It would be really funny if they were. But yeah, so we're wishing these ladies blue skies and tailwinds on their trip. So it is a four-day, 2,549-mile uh, wow. race. So these ladies will are actually in competition to beat themselves. They actually they go do a handicap flight and take times, and they try to beat their own time. This is so um, all there's not any pressure to um, fly through the night or do anything dangerous. So those in the uh, the listening community, um, I don't know how much you guys have traveled via airlines. You guys have probably listened to the news, talked about it on uh, the book face and all that sort of stuff. Airlines are starting to adjust for the uh, for the pilot shortage, and American Airlines has decided they're gonna they're gonna stop flying to four different airports, uh, two of which in New York, one of them in Iowa, and then the other in Ohio, beginning September seventh. The pilot shortage again has started this. So Dubuque in Iowa, Dubuque Regional, we have Eugene. Kranz Toledo Express Airport in Ohio, which do pertain to our our listening area. American Airlines has decided to cancel those uh, those routes. It was mostly decided to cancel out of Chicago here because of the hub being there. But it, again, it's due to uh, the shortage of regional pilots. Now, this is actually kind of interesting because it's in the past, you know, two weeks or so, American Airlines and the regionals, American has actually been starting to supply 
huge sums of money to bring new pilots in. Did you guys hear about this? You go on. Bringing up pay at least 50% for first year, first officers to regionals. Mm -hmm. So $81,000 a year before per diem and all that stuff, you're getting $90, I think like $90 per hour for your guarantee or 75 a month guarantee. I think they're trying to get pilots from the other big ones, you know, Delta and, and United. I think it's a smart move. I don't know how sustainable that is long-term, but it's a two, it's a two-year contract that uh, ELPA has got in signed with the, with American Airlines regionals. Uh, basically from what I understand, American Airlines is, is infusing this money into their, into their wholly owned subsidiaries to try to bring those pilots and to try to alleviate a lot of those shortages. But uh, yeah, there's more to, more to come on that. Hopefully we don't see any more decreases in service because let's face it, we need to get places and driving just is boring. Yeah. We'll see where this goes. How about some events, Jimothy? Let's talk about some events. Starting out in the state of Michigan, the Battle Creek Field of Flight Air Show and Balloon Festival of 2022. Dates for that are going to be June 30th through July 4th. It's going to take place in Battle Creek, Michigan. It is one of the biggest festivals of its kind in the country. It features over 30 hot air balloons, a lot of different various family-friendly entertainments, as well as some top performers, such as the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, the Air Force Heritage Flight. They also have some events that will take place after dark with about 20 glowing hot air balloons. More information on that event will be in the show notes. Our next event, the Confederate Air Force Air Power History Tour, will be visiting Chicago, Illinois at Lewis University Airport July 13th through the 17th. They'll feature things like the B-29 Super Fortress Fifi, as well as the B-24 Liberator Diamond Lil, and P-51's T-6 Texans, and so much more. They'll also have a number of ride opportunities that you'll be able to try to book, and those events will typically go 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the days of the event. Up next is SinVenture by Pilot Edge. SinVenture 2022 is a unique opportunity to use your flight simulator program to fly into a simulated Oshkosh environment. This is the third year in a row that they've conducted this and it includes actual Oshkosh air traffic controllers. It can be a good experience if you're not able to go to Oshkosh yourself or if you want some practice before the big event. In fact, we will be talking to the folks from Pilot Edge on one of our upcoming episodes they can give you a little bit more information about SimVenture and how they came up with that whole thing. Aren't we part of SimVenture? It's funny, you should mention that. You know that one time we did that whole logo thing? They have it. And we're going to be on some sort of simulated AirVenture tent. So fly into SimVenture and check us out at the um, Flying Midwest Podcast booth at SimVenture. We will not be at AirVenture in the capacity that you'll see here. So don't go looking for a Fly Midwest podcast, like big booth experience. It's just not going to be a thing. Sad. It is sad. Maybe next year's AirVenture will actually invite us. I think, don't we have to pay to get in there? Let's not get caught up in technicalities. Up next, Sheboygan Gift Week 2022, which is the Girls in Flight Training. That's going to occur August 8th through August 15th. It's the third annual Gift Week at Sheboygan. So this event is primarily um, geared towards women for an immersive flight training experience. This will typically last Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. each day. Registration fees are $250 plus materials, and they'll be offering training for private instrument, commercial, CFI, and CFII. Registration information will be in the show notes. So with our news and events out of the way, it's time for our featured guest of this episode. Yay! 
So I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited to welcome AOPA's National CFI of the Year, Amber Peterson. Hi, Amber. Hi, Amber. Hi. Hi, guys. Kind of a big deal. It, you know, a lot of people have told me that you're kind of a big deal now. And I'm like, really? No, thank you. I didn't really <laughs> change anything, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're in that school of thought of, well, I'm still just me. And I just have this label now, I guess. Yeah, it was actually weird. Like I went to the Women in Aviation Convention this year and people recognized me, which was bizarre. I'm like, oh, sure. hi. Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah, I'd be happy to give you some advice, um, like in a good way. So, um, yeah, it was kind of neat, actually. It was humbling in a way, too, because um, I worked as as most folks know, getting your CFI double I and then uh, being serious and good about it, it takes a lot of work. So it was nice to know that I'd made some impact. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really cool. So we're excited to have you here. We're going to start out with a little bit of fun, though, just break the ice, get you comfortable, help us get comfortable and stop stumbling all over our words like we typically do when we start. So <laughs> we will start by offering you a series of five questions here. Just if there's no pressure, there's no right or wrong answer. First question. Oh, okay, good. Any oh, other ground rules I should know about? We haven't quite set up a timer system yet. So mm -hmm. it's it's an honor system. If you think that your answer is not coming quick enough, maybe it's not. But okay. <laughs> it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be like a quick like response thing, but um, we'll we'll see how you do. Okay. So first question is favorite aviation movie. Ooh, okay. Um, it is uh, one with Tom Cruise in it and it's American. It's when they're running drugs in South America. Oh yeah, yeah, American oh. made. American made, yeah. yep, yep. That just got some classic good airplane stuff in it. It's good stuff, yep. I mean, it's Tom Cruise in another airplane. I know that Trevor might have an issue with that, but I- So to be fair- I enjoy that fair, one. To be fair. I, I don't like I don't like Tom Cruise, okay? I'm just- Neither do I, but that I, was a good movie. I, th I think he's kind of a D-bag, but that's just me. <laughs> I did watch American Made because I was an Aerostar. Right? Just, That's an Aerostar, right? You just really love yeah. Aerostars? Yeah, those things are fast. Your love for Aerostars have trumped your hatred for Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's, and, That's the hard and, line right there. And, and drug running and all that sort of fun, you know, CIA stuff. Yeah. Okay. It was good. Yeah. It was yeah, a it was good, good movie. You're right. Mm -hmm. All right. Question number two. Favorite aircraft that you've flown? Okay, so this is gonna sound extremely cheesy, uh, but honestly, I love the 152. Like, it's just got a little place in my heart. Just give me a six pack and a carbureted engine and it's just a freaking airplane. Mm -hmm. Love it. If it's IFR up, you know, capable, even better, but just give me a freaking airplane. It's good stuff, yeah. Question number three of Midwest Airport's favorite FBO. Oh, um, the one in Traverse City, Michigan. Couldn't tell you the name of it, but there's a GAFBO that just, it's nice. And then you can get food delivered and it's just the right amount of comfy. Don't know the name of it. Might be a signature for all I know, but yeah, it's a good one. Traverse City, Michigan, you said. Mm-hmm. All mm -hmm. right. I'm going to have to look that up. <sighs> Question four. Favorite Midwest podcast? No. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Question four, least favorite aircraft that you've flown? Oh, that is a good question. Thinking. So I don't know if there's like a model per se. I don't think there is. I'm gonna think through that a little bit because I like flying. What I don't like is when you're like, the maintenance is almost sketch. So it's like that bad vibe aircraft. That's yeah. just like the, they say mm -hmm. it's airworthy. It's not really wrong, but you're like, you just get the bad vibe. So that's the only time I would say I haven't enjoyed flying where you're just waiting for the wing to fall off or something like that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I flew one of those. Yeah, I think we all have, you know, and you're like, hmm, yeah, looking back, should I have done that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, last question we have for you. Anyone in aviation history, dead or alive, who would you want to meet and have a conversation with? Oh, that is a great, great question. And I'm just going to make like the general statement of anybody that ran bombing missions in World War II. Like that just seems absolutely like fascinating. Like the navigators that had to figure out when to drop the bombs based on like E6B data and stuff. Like how did that actually work is, is my answer on that one. Yeah. I love that answer. That's awesome. Great answer. It's good stuff. One of my students like in where that answer came from she, um, you know, we're doing old school slide rule E6B stuff. And she's like, can I bring in my grandpa? So I'm like, probably, sure. And she brings it in and since old leather case and her grandpa was a navigator in World War II. And like, it literally had like notes in it that you could tell he used to like actively do a mission and stuff. And it was like, this oh, is wow. the coolest thing so I've ever cool. seen in my life. And I would have liked to be able to like talk to him about what were you doing and how did you do it, right? Would have been super cool. That's so cool. Well, thanks for playing along with our little questions and warm up a little bit. Helps us warm up too. So yeah, good questions. So you're CFI, double I, all that stuff. How do you get into instructing? I am your typical, how do you build hours for 121? Hmm. Um, that's why I got my CFI. And I honestly didn't think I would like it. Um, and it turned out it's my passion and I love it. So that is how I got into being a CFI. And it's my second career. I got my private when I was 17, like way background, got my private when I was 17, um, really couldn't afford to fly. You know, by the time I was 20, didn't fly anymore and then took 20 years off and started flying again to, as a career change. Um, and it was really this, the 121 schedule that attracted me. Um, and lack of people calling me 24 seven. Um, so it was really that, um, that motivation. And then lo and behold, you found what you're meant to do. I think that's, that's pretty awesome. cool because I'm looking at that route as well. To me, being an instructor and being a competent instructor, I mean, that is just awesome. If you get to that point where you're such a good instructor, where you're changing people's lives and, and getting people to realize their, their passions, I mean, that's just a whole new calling. It is. It is. And I mean, I think 
probably every instructor like changes lives because the individuals that want to fly, the individuals that come in for flight training are there for two reasons. One, they want to do it for a career or two, they've wanted to do it since they were a little boy or girl. I mean, that's who comes in. Absolutely. So either scenario, you are going to change their life. It's how you change it and the positive or the negatives that you change their lives. That's really what a good CFI is or part of being a good CFI. Obviously there's like the actual skill set and like, you know, knowing what the regs are and that kind of stuff, but like making sure it's a positive experience and money's well spent and they're happy. And that's what your job really is. So after like a 20 year break in flying, what brought you back into aviation? Two minute story is I uh, had a group of friends. One of my our friends is an actor in Sioux Falls and he was in a play. And so we went there for opening night. And there's probably eight or ten, ten of us that road trip out to Sioux Falls. Go see the play. He has an after party at his house. And I start chit chatting with a pilot, turns out, in the kitchen of his house at this after party. And we talked for like till two in the morning. Like, wow like just airplanes. And I'd always had the bug. I traveled for work. You know, I wanted to turn left into the cockpit. I didn't, I turned right. And I was like, I literally called my boyfriend on the way home the next day. And I'm like, so what do you think of me making a career change? And I'm in the backseat of my car, like my two friends up front were like, what? And I got in a 152, uh, two days later and just never got out. So that's it. Sometimes you just have to talk to the right person um, and just like, okay, I'm ready. And I can actually afford to do this at this stage in my life. Cause there was a couple of times I had the opportunity. It was like, I honestly, I didn't have 40 grand, you know, and I was in yeah. a place where I could do it. So it was, it was right place, right time. And it all came together really well. Yeah. Cool. So what have you discovered to be your favorite part of teaching? This could be like private pilot ground or like for solos or whatever, what has been like overall your favorite part? So overall favorite part, probably first solos, definitely like that first excitement level coming back from the cross country and them like so freaking excited because they just went to St. Cloud and back and they landed. It was the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And like, like being excited with them. Um, Cause it really, that was just this momentous thing that honestly, they're probably going to remember the rest of their lives. Right. Um, and it might be passing the check ride, but just being part of that excitement and validated in a forum. Cause when they go home to their husband or wife, they're going to be like, good job. You flew today. Um, so like, you're almost that person that can validate that excitement that I know I have for GA and like I had for flying and I still have for flying. Like every time I take off, like if I take a two week vacation and I take off and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm flying and oh, P.S. I get paid for this. What? Um, <laughs> it's like just the most amazing thing, you know? So like remembering where they were and where they are. That's really awesome. Thank you. So as you came up through the different ratings, what kind of challenges did you face as you made your way to becoming a CFI, if any? Oh, I did. Um, a, when you don't fly for 20 years, you don't know how to land anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that actually Sometimes was, I feel like 20 minutes is what will do that. Yeah. Uh, that was actually really frustrating to me. Like I nearly quit a few times um, because which makes sense is I'm like, okay, let me start working on my instruments. 
um, because I just had my private at that point. And so like we'd go shoot a few approaches and then come in and do one or two landings and they were absolutely like just ugly bad, right? Um, and so that was really discouraging. I literally did almost quit um, and needed to find some different tools for me to relearn how to land, um, which I did. And so I can land, which is good. Um, and, (laughs) and then I was also working professionally. So, and I see this a lot of times with people like in their thirties or forties that are making this career change, trying to balance work, life, family, and it's impossible. How do you do all that? Um, I will admit that I, by the time I started working, I remember on a Thanksgiving, I literally went and took like a three hour nap, like at four o'clock, like worst time. Cause I'm like, I was so fatigued. My ride was like in five days and it was like, I can't even stare at people across the table right now. Um, so like learning that was really, really difficult. And finally, when I was working on my commercial, I had to go halftime with my job. Like that is what I needed to do or it wouldn't have happened. Learning later in life really is a lot harder. Um, so that, um, that was difficult. And then I'm one of those people too, that I, I don't, you know, half, you know, what it at all. So I take it very seriously that, if I go in for my commercial ride, I'm not just going to read the gouge and know I'll pass. It's like, I actually want to be a proficient commercial pilot as well. So I put that on myself as well. Thank you. So there you go on that. But yeah, I definitely had challenges. Um, you know, I busted on my power off 180 back in the day that you still needed to do it in a complex. Um, yeah, it was almost funny when I like let people know that I busted. It was like I became this card curing member of who busted their commercial on the power off 180. There's like a little secret club that you will be admitted <laughs> to um, when you do that. The, the joining though, or the rates of membership are going down new members because there's it's no longer a complex requirement, but um, it still very much is a club. Um, but it was like, I did absolutely everything wrong on, on that thing. Um, you know, and then for sure, just, um, the challenges with learning, you know, doing my CFI ground, like nearly killed me, but I made it. So there you go. And, you know, almost everybody has those stories. Like it's just getting ready for a CFI ride is just like, thankfully you only, you don't have to do a reoccurring CFI ride or there'd be like five CFIs in the country because nobody wants to take that ride ever again. Right. So, yeah. It's fascinating that you bring up being able to digest that information. You know, I go on a lot of Facebook forums and sometimes I pick a lot of fights as uh, Jim knows sometimes, (laughs) but there's a a student pilot forum on, on Bookface, and they, uh, (laughs) everybody's posting their, you know, their written exam results and stuff like that. You know, it's like, Oh, 98. Hey, did Shepard Air, you know, 95. Yeah. Some of these pilots I question, you know, did they did they read the gouge? Did they did they Shepard Air it? Do they really understand the stuff? Then you get, you know, like uh I had read a post what earlier this past week and 72 for written. And it's like I look back at, at my writtens, I I don't think I scored above 80 on any of my writtens because I don't, I don't take tests very well. I just, that's just mm-hmm. who I am. But when it comes to like oral and whatnot, I can talk my way through anything. So 
in all your teaching of all these weird situations, all the weird like things students have done, like crazy, like trying to kill you, what has been either the weirdest or the most difficult to correct? Ooh. Maybe both. I kind of okay. Know. Yeah. Um, the only times I feel like a student has really tried to kill me or my life has been in danger is when I'm in IMC. Um, to be honest on that. And I will all day, every day, take students into IMC. Um, they should be in IMC before they're given their ticket, 100, 100, 100%. But that is the only time where your life is very, very much in their hands if you're not very careful. Um, you know, full-scale deflection, thank goodness I fly in the Midwest, there really isn't much to hit, right? And needing to take controls, they're freaked out, you're aiming the nose back to the line, you're entering in the GPS to get you to the middle of the runway or the airport, and you're talking to ATC and a non-autopilot aircraft um, when you've just seen them do something dumb, you know, more than standard rate turns in a hold. Um, you know, two weeks ago, and like, I knew he was going to do it, and I just blanked on it because he has autopilot. He has autopilot. So you should not pull throttle before you start your descent, or you're going to slow way down, right? He did that. And instead of disconnecting autopilot, he chose to try to correct it, which you can't do in this aircraft. So it's like, I have to take controls, get back to where we are, blah, 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 blah. And he gets frustrated. And that's, that's hard in that, yeah, we literally could have been in a life and death situation. And when I take controls, when you're only been an actual like that much, the good news is they, they learn a very healthy respect for how dangerous IMC can be, but you also don't, it, it, I swear it takes like five lessons back from the, oh my God, I was finally in the real thing. And I effed that up bad, like could have died bad. And that's, that's hard because you can't take that back. Normally when I take controls or like you're in v, VMC, you're able to massage in that. It's like, obviously you want them to learn, but you don't want them to feel like they're the, you know, a, really bad but when you're an IMC you got to do what you got to do right and so that's hard I think that's the only time um that I've really felt like I was gonna die um the other like you know I've got a million stories um I was in a Cirrus once so high performance um rotated at a at a high um speed for general aviation aircraft um single engine and we're going down the runway. And what's funny is like the lesson before we practiced aborts and he, his door wasn't closed. I'm like, oh, great. What's she gonna do? Abort? Okay, let's do it. And he took his foot off the right rudder. And we literally, we're going 70 knots and we start like going off the runway. And I had to take controls, put in throttle. We're doing like a soft field takeoff over the lights of the runway, essentially, till we get up to a speed where we can rotate and go up. So that was a good lesson on the right foot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, we all have a million of them. I mean, once you get, I mean, I probably have 2000 hours of dual given. Like, it's just, I can keep them coming, you know, but it's like, these are the things that you just have to have your senses up. And um, like, I didn't feel like I was in a life and death situation at that point. It was, was I going to be talking to the feds? Right. Um, but you just got to be ready and realize that's part of the job, which like a lot of people are like, what, how can that, like, I joke every day, somebody tried to kill me. Right. 
Um, but it kind of is that way, not on purpose. Um, but you know, that's, that's what you do. You're teaching, um, how people, how to fly a machine that deserves a lot of respect. And that is part of your job as well is teaching them that respect. And if you don't allow them to make mistakes, they're not going to learn the respect in which case they might kill themselves later. And I'd feel really, really bad if that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Given your qualifications and your award status, I should say, um, what do you think are the skills and traits, in your opinion, that makes a good CFI? So a lot of my students and like CFI applicants that I've been with, they say, and I'm going to say a word you might need to bleep out, but I should put on my business card. I actually give a shit. And that makes all the difference in the world. Do you actually care about your students? Will you be there for them at 10 p.m. the day before their ride to answer a question then tell them to go to bed? Um, you know, are you texting them the day before to make sure expectations are, you guys are on the same page. These are the approaches that we're gonna do. Um, you know, maybe put a nugget in their air. Hey, maybe you should look at notums on when we're, where we're going, right? So they've got the time to do that ahead of time and really truly care about where they are in their lives, both professionally, personally, and with flying. Um, so a lot of CFIs don't do that. Unfortunately, a lot of them are there to sit in the right seat, period. Um, so care about your students, understand what their needs are. Think about what you needed or wish you had in your training. That's where a lot of my skill set came from is I, one of the things I did with, I do with my students is I, I use the phraseology, I'm firing you. And I will not let them do more than one certificate or rating with me, with the exception of they want to get their CFI with me. Because if they fly with a different CFI on each certificate or rating, they're going to learn from that individual. They're going to take the best of each CFI they fly with and turn into this amazing hybrid of the four or five individuals that they've flown with over the course of their training. Versus like I've got, you know, I've met CFIs where it's like, yeah, they did all five ratings, you know, with the same individual. They're just mini me's. They've only got one perspective. They make some good decisions, but maybe they've got some bad decisions because that's what that individual did. So exposing yourself to as much as possible is really kind of the name of the game and then care, you know, be the best person that you can be for sure. I think what you just said is gold. Having different perspectives because you're never going to have the same experiences, the same teaching styles, the same lingo inside right. the inside the, the cockpit. You need to have various experiences. And having that is going to be one of those big things that uh, I think will save a person's life. Oh, I totally agree. We do have the right to interview, test, and fire our CFIs. Mm -hmm. Like, so when I started flying again, I was mature enough in my life where like, I wasn't going to take anybody that like was sitting in the right seat. Like I'm freaking paying you 50 to a hundred dollars an hour. Like I'm, I'm going to get somebody who knows what he or she is doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I probably went through 10 full CFIs till I finally like found the CFI I did my instrument with and, and like, okay, you actually know what you're freaking doing. Right. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be paying you money to teach you how to fly at night. 
great. Um, but I see so many people that's just like, oh, I have to say with Joe, Joe was assigned to me. You know, it's like, no, freaking fire Joe. If Joe's sitting there texting while you're on final, yeah, Joe needs to be fired. Mm -hmm. Um, And I truly do believe that, right? So shop around for your CFIs. And I sadly, I don't know the exact number of the CFIs that are CFIs for 121, but I'm probably going to call it, what, 80, 90% of them. And I bet just 75% of them are just sitting there. Like, it's truly sad. And then going into our pilot shortage, like this is who's training you. It's mm-hmm. so, so scary. Can you talk to us about what the process was for whether it be the nomination and then ultimately be awarded the CFI of the year with AOPA? Um, yeah, <laughs> and I encourage everybody, um, AOPA annually, you could find it on their website, um, but uh, they, they open it up and you can review your flight school and you can review your CFI. They can be done simultaneously or, or individually. And I strongly encourage everybody to do that, good or bad, because the reason why is the flight schools and the CFIs actually get your feedback. And it's really, really interesting to see the comments, good and bad, like I'm not all five stars, right, on what people wrote down that they really liked and what they wrote down where there was room for improvement. Like, I learned a lot from that, as did all my peers that got reviews, you know, so they feed all that to you. It's all anonymous. You can't tell who wrote it. Um, But I would encourage everybody to, to, even if you're not like voting, wanting, you know, your CFI to be the CFI of the year um, to go in there because we get good feedback and any good flight school or CFI is going to take into account the good and bad and make appropriate changes or keep things the same, right? So how did that progress in your case? And like how like the like the feedback that they give you AOPA as well as progressing to those stages of yeah. So I was like region. They didn't do it year before last because of COVID. Because a lot of people didn't fly, so it wouldn't be fair. Yeah. So um, the year before that, I was one of the regionals. I think there's there's eight um, people that came into the regionals. So what they do is you get an email, congratulations, your AOPA's regional CFI of the year. You know, there's this list and um, you're now in the running for national CFI of the year. So you literally get an email in the September timeline on that, which is super awesome, very um, recognized and whatnot. Um, if you're a regional AOPA, the local rep will come out to your flight school or, and um, give you like this little plaque and shake your hand. And it is, it's pretty cool, right? Because that is huge. There's 60 to 80 regional CFIs in the country, which is pretty cool. There's between 1,200 and 1,600 like um, CFIs that are nominated. So that's, that's really like an impressive feat as well. Sure. Um, and then whether or not you are... Um, to the regional, all the CFIs, all the flight schools get an email in that same time range with um, what the reviews were. So you can review that and and make appropriate changes. The flight school is at at the time, like we kind of talked about, you know, the good and bad that we got individually as well, which was nice kind of feedback. Um, And then you get invited um, all, there's regional, there's district, I I might have that confused. And then there's um, national. So I was one of the six finalists to the national level. So you get an email in that. 
um, and you get invited to um, the Redbird Convention, which is like a CFI convention that's held annually. Um, it was down at uh, the Sun and Fun venue, like down in Lakeville, Florida this year. So I got invited to that. Um, I'd never been in this boat before. So I got the invite. I'm like, um, I'll try to make it. I said it nicer than that. Um, and then in December, I got this email like, hey, can we send out a photo crew to take pictures of you? And I'm like, oh, this must be like what you do. They do for all the finalists. Little did I know they just voted and like I was the national. So they sent out a photo crew, um, did some pictures up at Crystal on a 172 um, that were really nice. Actually, they, they, I looked very good. It was like 15 degrees and I had a sweater on and I'm like so freaking cold, right? <laughs> uh, but that's Minnesotan. We're good. We're fine. We're fine. Oh, Big yeah. smile. <laughs> um, and then, yes, yeah, so I went down to the Redbird convention and it's pretty cool. Actually, they, they have a, a CFI of the year and then they have a flight school of the year at national level. And they do it like Oscar style where they come out with the envelope and like you go in and you get uh, your regional. Um, so each person walks across the stage for that. So there's uh, six or eight of us that were like standing there waiting for the big Oscar like um, envelope and yeah, they pull out the envelope and it was me. It was pretty cool. So yeah. Awesome. Was were, you, were you kind of in shock when, when you got called up as the national? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like I'm chit chatting with other CFIs, other individuals that were there for um, the presentations that were going on or the couple of days with the conference. And like, it didn't even cross my mind. It was like, I'm here to learn, to get educated on what's going on, you know, get an award. Like it was pretty cool that I was one of the top six um, in the country. And then, yeah, they even, so there's um, AOPA does um, a, a once a week like a video YouTube thing and then a podcast so I was on both of those and it's almost funny like watching me because you could tell I was just like eh, I'm just answering questions hasn't really hit me yet so it was pretty cool. As a youthful CFI as somebody who does it for fun in in the sense of like you obviously got your hours to go to 121 and you still taught no matter how much you love teaching I know it is a wearing job um, what are some things that you do as, you know, in your personal life or in aviation that keep you from, from it wearing you too much right? To point where you don't enjoy it? Usually you don't make a ton of money. Um, usually your hours are all in the summer or a lot of them are right. Um, so I made sure to take at least six days off a month, um, which actually like, like, really like that was hard for me to do. I didn't do that up front. I got fatigued. I got worn out. Um, no more than three students a day. Um, and that, that may be still a 10 hour day. Right. But like with that fourth student gets nothing. And every CFI that I've talked to that is honest says that fourth student gets nothing because you're worn out, you're tired, right. You're sitting there at that point. A lot of people do the fourth student because you know, that makes it a 10 hour day and that's more money and that's more hours. Right. So, and it's almost more like students, like flights, um, because if you do three lessons of pattern, I'm as tired if I do as if I do three three hour cross countries. It's really bizarre on that. It's like what your mental like focus and energy is on. Granted, I'm I'm like in my early 40s, but still like the folks in their early 20s I talked to, like they were honest, like, yeah, that four student got nothing again tonight. And then they laugh. And that's hard. Like, that's just like, dude, why do you schedule yourself? 
Like, why are you doing that? Know what works with your students and yourself too. No more than a two hour ground session. They'll stop learning and you'll start like not teaching as well as well. Like, um, so that would be another thing. What tips do you have for a new student to be successful in their transition into aviation? A, do your homework, be prepared. Most of us, and there are some people who are not in a financial situation. Some people will happily spend 30 grand on their private if they um, have the means to do so. But there's a lot of really good tools that are out there that you can self-study on your own. Make sure that you get a a list from your CFI or another reputable individual on what you should and should not watch on YouTube. Never wiki anything, right? Like that was one of the first things I did was just like make a list of these are the YouTube channels you can trust. Don't watch anything else because you can find everything you need on these like nine or ten and and or books or handbooks. Hmm? Did you say Trevor Jacob? He did. Get out of here. Know what to expect. Like, so I would recommend going with a flight school that has a syllabus, but realize like, actually, I would get to the point where I would hop around on the syllabus when I knew what I was doing, because it was like, if the person nailed whatever, and you don't need to practice it three lessons in a row, like practice what needs to be practiced, or if the ceilings are you know, 2,500 feet, then go freaking do ground reference maneuvers, right? Like jump ahead. Like that's what I like about part 61. I'm a big part 61er because of that. Um, because lesson, whatever says you should land doesn't mean that that's when you're going to be able to land and it's okay. So um, make sure that you and your CFI are on the same page. If your CFI doesn't communicate with you the day before, reach out to him or her. If he or she does not respond, fire your CFI. Um, and make ask your CFI why he or she is there, why he or she wants to be a CFI. If they won't give you five to 10 minutes of interview time, you don't want them to be your CFI. If they're texting while you're taxiing, unless they're like, hey, I'm really, really sorry. Like my plumber's coming over, you know, it's a rarity, but um, you don't want them to be a CFI. You're paying them a lot of good money to honestly keep you alive and teach you how to stay alive. On the flip side of that, what advice do you have for new CFIs like myself as far as like getting started? Because I mean, you were once a a young Yeah, once I had five hours of dual given. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things like one, figure out like how you feel like you're going to be a good CFI, which like sounds like hard, but like what's your niche? What do you enjoy? Do you want to focus? Do you only want to do instruments or do you want to only primarily do instruments, right? What kind of students do you like? Do you like teaching the 17 year old kids? Do you like teaching the 40 year olds that are like making a transition? They're very different personalities and maybe you're only going to jive like in general with certain individuals. So try not to match yourself with people you're not, you're not going to enjoy flying with, or maybe you don't teach well too. Like I fired myself from one student because I'm like, this person doesn't learn from me. Right. And it's just, that's fine. Right. Then come prepared. Um, there's nothing more frustrating than the CFI not knowing how to do stuff, which you won't know how to do, right? But like, remember how to do a steep turn and how, what those teaching techniques are that your, you know, CFI taught you when you're becoming a CFI on what you're, you know, outside, outside, inside, outside, outside, inside, this is how I teach. Um, 
So like, oh yeah, you kind of cheer fly, how are you going to teach um, you know, on the way to the airport? So you're going to be dead nuts on until teaching a steep turn, you could do like half asleep, you know, whatever, because you can't, when you've got five hours, like you really don't know how to teach. So remember those teaching techniques and then like, think about what it is that your student would want, what you would have wanted. Instruments are a big thing on what you can text the student the day of before. Like it was really frustrating to me when I first started looking at a plate. I needed 15 minutes to like brief the darn thing, right? So if you tell the student when they walk in, these are the three approaches we're going to do today. Like it's not fair to them, their money, your time for them to like spend 45 minutes reading it. So give them the three approaches the day before so they can look at that at night. And then you can talk about the, oh, hey, did you notice there's the gotcha at whatever? Or, hey, do we remember what a VDP is? Versus like them truly like give them everything they can in advance. Think about where your CFIs failed you and don't do that. The other thing um, is how can you save yourself, your students money and or give them a good experience. So I put together a presentation, happy to shoot it over to you if you want. Um, Please, I would love that. Um, yeah, and I could, I don't know if you can put it in the links, I can throw it on Google Drive. I did a FAA presentation on it a couple of times, but like, the tips and tricks to save cost. So you're getting your, what's like some good ones. Oh, instrument stuff. Well, you, if you're getting your commercial, you got to do your, um, your cross countries, your two hour cross countries. So you do your two hour day, you shoot a couple of approaches on the way you land, you go have dinner and you do your two hour night on the way back while you're doing approaches. So it adds absolutely zero money to your net cost of getting your commercial. Yet I can't tell you the number of people that like save it for their commercial. So they are paying a CFI four extra hours for nothing. Cause I'm telling you when I'm in that position, I'm quizzing them on their oral because I'm sitting there, right? They know how to fly two hours, hopefully by that point, right? Um, so how can you help them save money or give a good experience? Um, one of the things I do for private that is Absolutely. I can't tell you the friendships, the commodity, the crew management that you'll get out of this is you have two student pilots. They both need to do their night cross country. Okay. hundred miles. So you get a student up front and you have the navigator in the back. The navigator has planned this flight and the person up front has their foggles on. Okay. So they're, they're getting instrument time and and they're getting their night, their cross country in, their night cross country in. And the guy in the back is telling them to fly heading 320. And they have to learn how to talk to each other and like not be bitchy on when you see 320 is not working. Well, would you turn to a 325? So to us, that's really like easy, but it's, it's so cool over the course of that hour, hour and a half, see the crew management come in. And hey, could you tune in on COM2, this airport, to click on the lights so we have our point? Like, it is the coolest thing to see that relationship, that crew re relationship build on the way there. They get You get to the airport and you get out for one of the first times. You go in an FBO for the first time. You learn how to push the button in. Like, hey, this is where the crew car keys are. You use the bathroom. It's usually oftentimes someplace to sleep. You get back in and you fly back switching seats. So like you just save them hood time, 
you got a really good experience out of it. Everybody that I've done it with, they are friends years later because like they built this commodity of this experience that they had. It's really, really cool. So you should do that. That is That's really great. That is a brilliant idea. It's, I mean, somebody told me that, like, hey, have you tried that? I'm like, yeah. So I happened to be like that first summer I was CFI and I had two people at the same time. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this every time. Give one of my students to another CFI to do it with one of theirs or borrows a student too, you know? Because, um, yeah, it only makes sense, right? Is it well, time? It's time, Maddie. I think it may be time. <laughs> da, Are you da, ready? Da. Unpopular aviation opinion. Are you okay. ready? So this is gonna just rub Trevor the wrong way. Um, <laughs> oh, perfect! I'm I'm right. so ready for this. Yeah, I Do know it. that I've kind of met you guys a little bit. <laughs> um, I was listening to I think last week's podcast, and I'm only like halfway through. But I was listening to like first solo stories, and you said yeah. you soloed it five or six hours. There was no way in hell any, that you should have soloed it five or six hours, unless did you grow up in a plane? Like you knew how to 100 fly, but you just didn't have the the so. Maybe I should have prefaced that. When I was going through my private pilot training, it was five or six hours. Um, I did have time because I, you know, I flew up with, with a couple other CFIs. I, I worked as a dispatcher at Thunderbird Aviation for, uh-huh. for a few years. Right, right, so right. when we're when we're going, you know, ferrying airplanes, things like that, I, you know, I, I flew. Sure. Um, okay. Then but, that helps. But so then I'm just going to throw out like a more generic. Sorry, I didn't mean to attack you, Trevor. No. I apologize. But like this generic assumption that when people walk in the door, they're going to solo in 10 hours, which is not realistic at all. So I guess I wanted to throw out the unpopular opinion or belief that you're going to get your private in 40 hours and you're going to solo in 10 hours because unless you have a Trevor-like experience or like your dad had a plane growing up, so you've been there the entire time, that is not reality at all so, absolutely not which is really absolutely unpopular because people want to spend like nine grand and come scrolling in at 40 hours and it's not going to happen you know you i've know, known I, one person that did it but he micromanaged it like crazy he knew just how to study and how to you mm-hmm. know do what he could to maximize his time in the aircraft and everything Unfortunately, then there was me who did mine in 80 hours and spent like three times as much money because I didn't and I didn't know how to do that. I was not prepared for that, but it was a very unrealistic standard. When I got my certificate back in 93, it was still 40 hours, but you needed what, two hours less instrument time and you needed less night time and this, that, and the other thing. So it's like they added these requirements in, but still made it 40 hours, but it's for the Trevors and the people that grew up in their dad's airplane that can do it in 40, right? Like it's fine if you're ready, you're ready, but the average bear is not going to be, you know, so. I mean, even for myself, I I did some flying with Civil Air Patrol in like the mission observer scanner. So you're not the pilot, but you're running radios and things like that, Mm -hmm. working with maps. And even with that, I was still almost 60 hours. Yeah, get my commercial or my private certificate. So. Right, and and somehow like that's that is like when you Google, people are like, realistically, you're gonna do it more like fifty or sixty, or national average is fifty four. I think it is now. Yeah, people walk in that door like I'm gonna do it in forty, and you're like, yep, no, I'm you're not. Believe me, <laughs> add six thousand dollars more to your budget, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sad. Yeah. Um, before so- we we end, can I put in a plug? 
That's Please actually know. what I was just going to ask you. I knew awesome. that you wanted to plug awesome. something. So yeah, um, yeah so I want to give you that opportunity. I'm very involved with the local women in aviation chapter. Um, Stars of the North is what our chapter is. Um, the plug I wanted to put in was September 24th is Girls in Aviation Day. I will probably reach out to you again in August. Um, but uh, we run the biggest in the world, which we're very, very proud of. Last year, end of COVID, we got 1,600 people to show. It's legit. We're considering capping at 2,000 just because we don't have enough volunteers. We need help. And that they don't need to be pilots. Um, you know, we need people checking people in, doing parking. Like um, I co-direct the educational activities so that, you know, in general, we do do a marketing thing, but pilots, um, aviators, dispatchers, that kind of stuff can be very advantageous. And we do want people to come as well. If you haven't heard about it, um, we do education. Um, a big military presence. The military sims get trucked in special for it, which is pretty unique in the country to have access to that. Flight schools, um, NOAA comes in, uh, DNR, um, all sorts of cool stuff are set up to talk about different careers and or just um, like flying for fun. Um, we get a CRJ 900, the NOAA Beaver comes in, two female pilots come in and talk about how cool it is, Blackhawks, um, anyway, would love ever, anybody to attend, boys are welcome as well, we do not discriminate, um, and it's just really to get kids more involved in aviation, which I think we were all talking about here, is like we really do need to let kids know that there are these, um, these avenues, so anyway, we need help, volunteers, and as many little people that we can get there, ages eight to 18, um, to help get um, engaged in aviation. We'd love to see you there. So thank you again so much for coming on. We really appreciate having you. Um, you bet. Really okay, good night, guys. Good meeting you. Wish the, the best of luck with your event coming up. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs> that went way longer than I thought it would, but it was really fun. Yeah, it was me mostly talking. Sorry, it was guys. you mostly talking. <laughs> I just say it. No, remember, remember when I, I just okay. cut out 98% of what Trevor says is what we talked about, right? That was a yeah. joke. It's yeah. not that much. That's an exaggerated number. Yeah. She no, was really it's cool. Not. <laughs> no, it's not. Is this not. what we're fighting about now? Yes. They got to fight about something. Wow. What a great episode. Wow. That was so great to talk to Amber. Wow. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i feel like wow it's like i come over it's like i don't know what to expect i gotta be honest no it was actually a really good episode um being cfi of the year that that's kind of a big deal and yeah it's kind of a big deal and and as and as humble as she was i mean earmarks of a good cfi well deserved wow 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 we definitely need more cfis like her we do so what are we going on for the next episode? In our next episode, all you sim pilots, get ready to rock your wings. We're going to talk to the guys from SimVenture about their event coming up next month in advance of the Oshkosh AirVenture. We talked a little bit about it in the event section. So we'll have Kevin from uh, Pilot Edge to talk to us about SimVenture and how you can get involved. Wow. 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 All right, so if you guys are interested in any of this merchandise or any future merchandise, please let us know. Uh, contact us on any of our social medias or give us an email. Send us an email.
email yeah. us. Definitely in a developmental stage. So we're looking to see what kind of interest exists before we start down a larger venture, see if maybe we want to do a pre-order thing and figure out how to do this the right way. And talking about important things coming down the pike, why don't you guys get a hold of us when you have a major event like say first solo or you pass your check ride? We want to celebrate you guys. So get a hold of us, social media, email, you know how to do it. Well guys, it's been fun. But until next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. Wow. Wow, that was was really good. (laughs) Wow. 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 What a what a great podcast. Wow. Wow. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day. This episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast brought to you by Holy Wilson. And his Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I think Trevor said something clever. Really? Trevor does not say anything clever. You did, though. You guys can't hear the C-130 flying over. No, we never can. I think it's all in your head. Even the lights? Yeah, it's all in your head. So, Maddie, Trevor, take it away. That sounded stupid. Take it away? Take it away, Penny! Please say you guys have seen that SpongeBob episode. How much SpongeBob do you think I'm watching? Oh, you have kids. I'm a 40-year-old man. I don't watch I don't watch SpongeBob. I mean, I'm aware of who lives in a pineapple under the sea, but those that are no, that didn't sound very good. You said two words. I know. <laughs> yes, I good. did, and it sounded horrible. <laughs> I was muted. That was, that was a lovely face, Jim. <laughs> it was so funny. I hear that a lot. I have a lovely face. I'm going to face for a radio, which is why I do podcasts and not YouTube videos. <laughs> We're a family podcast, Jim. I heard that somewhere. Family friendly. <clears throat> yeah, I heard that from you. You okay. you don't want to know. Nope. I don't. No, but you made it our business, so you really I'm going to stick my nose in it. As well as the B24. That's going to make a lot more sense in a second. It's milk, isn't it? It's pina colada. Pina colada. Is that what you do? I said pina colada. Mm-hmm. Can you guys <laughs> hear the air conditioner blowing? Once no. again, we can't hear most of the things you hear, I believe, because they're in your head. I hate that you wasted my time, Trevor. That was the dumbest joke I've ever heard. Recording in progress. Wow. 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 Um, up next, but- the Sheboygan Gift Week, which is. Girls be something, something, flight, something, something. Girls in flight training. Thank you. I'm terrible at intros. You know that, Jim. I'm really I know, but I'm bad. trying to help you build your confidence by I practicing. Have, I don't have any confidence. Are you That's, kidding me? So with the logo, we were feeling out the odd uh, feeling out the audience is not what I wanted to say. Ew. That's the alcohol too. So <laughs> No feeling the audience. This isn't going in the podcast. I thought about going like a flavor of flav direction but uh, yeah we wouldn't have made sense you don't know who flavor trevor we have got to get you out from under the rock (laughs) i love my rock do do you have air conditioning yes can you hear my air conditioning no oh really no you yes sweat it out for nothing so what (laughs) what i hear you say is that 
I could have done this entire podcast not sweating my ass off. Yes. No one told you to do that. How much SpongeBob do you think I'm watching? <laughs>